and ran the fuck out of the cafe like Forrest Gump. And I hid in like a service um, cupboard with <laughs> detergent and mops and cried. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. It is that time again. James Marshall here reporting for the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Now, today... Uh, I have a very special guest in the studio with me who has been a, a longtime friend, collaborator, coach, sidekick on many an adventure. And uh, most of you will not have heard of him or seen him yet. And uh, he is the newest coach for TNL, but he's actually one of the oldest coaches as well, not in age, but in experience. He's actually been a part of our network for nearly 10 years and has gone in and out of uh, being part of the TNL crew whilst also. Uh, having a brief uh, interlude where he tried to be a normal person, which didn't work out very well for him. So I'd like to introduce to you Kurt. Hello, hello. <laughs> uh, and Kurt doesn't yet have a surname. So if you're interested in helping us find uh, the fake surname for him, then put that in the comments below and we'll, we'll choose the one that we like the best and then send you out a set of steak dildos. <laughs> so... Uh, welcome to the house that you've lived in for the last year and a half. It's a bit weird because we just live together. Uh, so I guess the first thing I wanted to have a chat to you about was, well, you need to have an origin story, right? All right. So give us your Spider-Man story. The origin story. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it began 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, uh, this December, I remember we met in a, the back of a pub in Bondi Junction and the, the origin story, yeah, as you said, there was a that dinky little conversation workshop that was being run, but you were also presenting at another dating conference with some local dating experts. Local heroes. Sean Garobala, there was Gary Goodbloke, there was that that was Asian Playboy there or something. Yeah, there were a few. Was Vince Kelvin there? Vince Kelvin was Vince there. Vince Hollywood Kelvin was in the back of this shitty pub. Actually, that's where Vince discovered me. Like, that was in some ways was my origin as well. Vince did uh, turn out to be one of the gatekeepers into your ascent as a successful dating coach. Yeah, can we just put an overlay of Vince making out with like 30 girls in a Yeah, that would be good to put yeah, that there. If you don't know who Vince Hollywood Kelvin is, you must. He is the uh, Elvis of the pickup scene. Google that. It's mm. worth... It's yeah, very, so it's he was there and then he invited me to come to the PUA Summit and that's where we broke into the international scenes. But the, So this was just on the cusp of, of us cracking it. All right, so there we were in a shitty little pub in Sydney. Yeah, and at that time, like I went to this event with the intention of getting as much uh, exposure as I could from different teachers, dating experts, to fix up what was then uh, a relationship, an intimate desert that I was living in. So I, even at that really, really early stage when all this was really, really new, I got the feeling that the, a lot of the PUA stuff that was going on, just it just didn't sit right with me. It was all about you know a subterfuge, an agenda. You'd have to memorize a thing and tell someone a story that had an outcome that was supposed to make the girl do something. And I was getting all of this and just thinking, eh, this doesn't quite sit right. And then you gave your presentation, which was all about presenting yourself in an authentic way, dropping the subterfuge and then owning the fact that, yes, you're sexually interested in a woman and are unapologetic about that. But also uh, expressing that in a calibrated and empathetic way so that when it landed... Uh, you're adjusting to how it was being received by her. Is is she receptive? Is she not? Uh, okay, we can temper it in a way that is maintaining her comfort throughout this seduction. So that immediately resonated with me. And then I remember we were sitting on the couch after your uh, speech because I bought the gold ticket, which gave me access to 
a stringed off area with some just some other bar stools which separated us from the rest of the people in the pub and you were talking you spoke to me about um your meditation practices and i'd never heard of any of this before and we were talking about you you mentioned that well if you get to a high enough place in your meditation practice with you and your woman and you incorporate that into your sexual life there's a point where you can dissolve into each other as your energies are circulating back and forth as in what during your love making or during sex and i just thought what the fuck is he talking about i didn't even know any of this was possible i, I literally had no idea about any of that world and I was immediately, that was what was the thing that was um, quite captivating to me. And I thought at that point, everything else fell to the side uh, in terms of the, the PUA stuff and the having to learn routines and stuff like that. And I thought, this is the guy I want to learn from. So you signed up for some kind of infield workshop that I had. I remember we, were, we went down to Bondi Junction. And my memory is, which is not, not great these days, but as far as I remember, we were sitting on a bench and I think there was a girl sitting across from us who like had, in my memory, a yoga mat and like some other, like several props as if, as if I'd set her up there. Like she had like a book and a camera and a yoga mat or like some things were, and she like looked friendly. I think there was like, there was, I was like, wow, there is a picture perfect, easy as fuck approach. Curtis, go and talk to her. And then what did you do? Uh, I, I, that image of this woman... Am I right? Was this what happened? Oh, that's exactly what... Yeah, right. that's exactly what happened. She was sitting... We were in a cafe and then she was out on the, um, on the patio area and she literally did have a yoga mat uh, rolled up. She had her chai latte or whatever it was and she was reading a book. I can't remember what it was. It was one of two titles. I can't remember because it's just, the rest was a blur. It was either The Unbearable Lightness of Being or Zorba the Greek. I've mm-hmm. got a feeling it was The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Good we, book. Right. You'd read it. Of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like that in itself, like to me, it was just like, oh my God. And yeah, you did. You said to her, all right, Curtis, look at what's going on. There's this woman's the, uh, the image of friendliness. You're going to connect with her. Look at all the things that's going on. Uh, go and talk to her. And this was the first, it was, it would have, was going to be my first cold approach of going up, initiating a conversation with a woman without some sort of social context around it. Literally going and saying, hi, my name is Kurt. I noticed blah and at that point all the things that had driven me towards wanting to connect with you and learn from you uh boiled up to the surface i just had this rush of anxiety and i was completely frozen and i remember we're sitting in the cafe there was you're sitting there i'm sitting there there's another student sitting there like just sort of waiting like what's going on and you said okay now go and talk to that woman and i just said no (laughs) (laughs) and and you said curtis i do this for a living I change men's lives. This is the start of your, of the change in your life. Go and talk to that woman. And by this stage, I literally couldn't talk and couldn't get the no out <laughs> to refuse you. And in my head, I thought, okay, now's the time. I've got to, I've got to get up and act. I've got to do something. So I stood up, looked at you, looked at the woman, looked back at you, looked back at the woman, turned around and ran the fuck out of the cafe like Forrest Gump. <laughs> And I hid in like a service um, cupboard with (laughs) detergent and mops and cried. (laughs) And it wasn't even like a bit of a sob. It was, I can't do it. And I think at the time I tried to hide the fact that I did because I hid in that cupboard. And after a period of just getting that initial cry out, I came out and I remember feeling, wow, I can't get any worse with girls. Everything else after this has to be an improvement. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and that was my start. Rock bottom. Uh, and I, from memory, the rest of that workshop was a bit of a write-off, like, I mean, or, or we finished or something. And then I said to you, because it was clear to me, I was like, okay, this guy, we've barely scratched the surface. There's a lot going on here. He needs more work. At that time, I was running a 12-week program in Melbourne, the Masterclass, which was kind of the, uh, the crucible where a whole lot of the material that we eventually systematized into different workshops came out of. And it was a really great kind of uh, period of renaissance and exploration. And so I said to you, uh, how attached are you to Sydney? That was the question. Yeah, that was really, that was the thing that really kicked this journey off. And it was that question. It was, it was what's keeping you in Sydney? Mm-hmm. And the answer was nothing. And that was the end of that conversation because this was, this was after the workshop, we had a call and I still remember having the call and I've still got the notes that I wrote down as in part of our debrief. And uh, yeah, that was the question that stuck with me in the phone. And I remember within 48 hours, uh, I just sent a text to you and it said, I'm coming to Melbourne. And you wrote back, Curtis, comma, you legend, exclamation point. And that was it. And the next time I think I saw you was down in Melbourne. I went and made it happen. I, at the time, uh, I was at uni, but I'd spent a, quite a while working in a white collar job, had a lot of savings. And uh, I thought, all right, now's the time to put that to use. And I did recognize the masterclass for what it was, an investment in my future mm. and threw everything at it and committed to the process. Quit yeah. my job at the time, deferred from uni. Uh, I finally cut my ties with my ex-girlfriend really permanently as a result of that. And uh, after that text, I think within the month I was in my car, I put everything that I owned in there, including the old sofa mattress that I was sleeping on in my bedroom, drove to Melbourne and then I just turned up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, I'm here now. Yep. Which um, is a major step. Like it's, it's like I'd had that conversation with other guys before, you know, because when I, when I work with a guy and even back then I wasn't super experienced, but I had enough experience. It's pretty clear to me when I work with a guy, all right, this guy needs some polishing or this guy just needs to be activated or this guy just needs to realize that he's already the shit and go and do it. And then there's other guys where I'm like, this guy's got a dense amount of personal work to do and it won't happen by just doing a little bit here and there. And I've told guys that many times where I'm like, in my professional opinion, I see in you that you've got, you need to throw yourself into this 100% for a period of time, a year or so or more uh, in order to, to sort it. And so, sort it doesn't mean like it's done forever, but to get to a benchmark where, okay, you're functional, where you can get, where you can get dates, you can get on girl, we can get a girlfriend, you're not going to be flipping out and freaking out in every social scenario. And a lot of guys, I remember having one conversation with a dude where he was, yeah, he was fucked. He was 29 and he was more or less a virgin and had barely scratched the surface of interacting. And I told him, you're young, but you're not that young. This will not sort itself out. Uh, he, I found out how much money he had. I'm like, he had the money. He was, and then he just didn't do it. I'm like, that guy's life, I know where that's going. He thinks, he was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll give it a think and I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out myself. I'm like, you will not do that. I figured it out by myself by, with some bizarre obsession grueling grinding every day for years and I already had a, ba- a background in being you know a, a good social animal and so when you know I put that to you and and you took that that was uh maybe you didn't see it so much at the time but I recognized that okay there, there's a seed of greatness in here there's a se- there is the seeds of success are in here because even though you were as rock bottom as any almost any student I've ever had really like I mean it's rare to have a situation like that where someone runs off and just will not do it but I think because it hurt so much because you recognize you needed it maybe more than the average person that you were like, fuck it, I'm going to 
literally cut all of the ties of my previous life and start again. So yeah, that that certainly brought you some respect. So you did the course, and then somehow, how the fuck did you end up moving into the house? Because we we had this big warehouse in in Melbourne, which was the hub of uh, the naturals, uh, you know, whatever we were doing for years. And uh, getting a room in that house was a coveted, much uh, you know, much wanted thing by many many people. And somehow you managed to get in there. How how did that happen? That's true. Yeah. So when I when I did move down to Melbourne, uh, I knew literally no one at that time. We'd been our relationship was very much professional i came on as a student and we'd had some debrief and i think i think connected personally like you'd assisted me with some deep stuff and i recognized the opportunity of what was being what was in front of me i thought okay this is a man who can help me i want to connect with this person and then when i was introduced to everybody in the crew at the time the original naturals there was z your wife olia at the time shay tim and liam i recognized very quickly that this was a crew of people uh, who were on a similar path to me and I had the genuine desire to connect with you as friends first. And I prioritized that above any sort of wanting to ingratiate myself into the crew to receive extra coaching or feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a genuine desire. I thought these are the people I want to connect with. I want to be friends with them. So as a course, as as a, throughout the course of the masterclass, every time there was a social opening, I took it and made it my genuine effort to try and connect with the people in the crew at the time. So there were a few, I can think of three things that initially got me into the position where when the room came up, I was in the right position at the right time. And it's like, oh yeah, Kurt's cool. Like he can come in and take the room. So one oh, of them I remember was, now, you used to hang around after class until we kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I, I do remember that. I'd be like, oh, all right, Curtis is still here. All right, Curtis, out you go now. You've had a couple of extra hours. Yeah. yeah. So after, after masterclass, I noticed that all the TNL crew would come together and they'd go around and order burgers from Danny's Burgers around the corner and then come back, sit, chill and have burgers. Danny's Burgers. Danny's Burgers. Great burgers. Yeah. And uh, on one of the evenings, you said to me, well, I was just sort of hanging, I was literally hanging around, lo- loitering a bit. And then it came time to put in the Danny's burger order. And you're like, you know, Tim, you have a thing. Z, you'll have a thing. Uh, Olia, what do you want? Call upstairs. Shay, what does everyone want? Kurt, you, Kurt, would you like a Danny's burger? <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, I, that, I, I took his, I was quite shy about that and I didn't want to accept the offer because I thought, fuck, like, is he doing it because I'm loitering or does he genuinely want me to hang around? And I was sitting there hesitating and you said, Kurt, that's a genuine invitation. Would you like a Danny's burger? And I said, yes, I would like a Danny's burger. And that was the start. And then, so after class, over those 12 weeks of the masterclass, I would often be around for the after masterclass evening Danny's burger. And uh, following that, uh, I remember Olia, your wife at the time, was establishing herself as a very high-profile DJ in Melbourne. And she invited me out to a few of her club nights. And then Z, one of the original naturals, was also DJing as well. And since, at the time, going to clubs and hanging out in those environments was something that I was really, really used to, it was natural that I got, got an invite every now and again. So I took that invite as an opportunity to go and connect with all of the um, people in the crew because often you guys had come out as well. I do remember a night we were all at Loop and it ended with me and Z in a strip club walking out with lots of girls and that was sort of my introduction to where all this could go mm-hmm. and I was quite blown away by that just as a result of accepting an invitation. Hey, I'm playing the thing, come down and mm-hmm. just have a, have a drink with us. There's, a, there's an important principle at play here which is uh, like kind of um, 
I talk about in my seductive economy, which you would which you were doing in the sense that you had the mixture of audacity and humility, which is I think a, a really like primary combination in terms of being able to leapfrog. So like it's all well and good to if you if you want to to build your social world up from zero and to be the person that initiates everything. I guess that's what I did and then gradually built a you know a social empire and then plugged into other people's empires as I went along. But you don't have to do that. It's very smart and good if you can to attach yourself to a crew that's already established. And the thing is with a with a high value crew and it's not I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything but it's like when you build a group that is that is a group of socially calibrated x-men that can go out and create effect in the world that is they can get girls and they can have a cool lifestyle people want to be a part of that and there's and there's no real reason to let random people into that crew unless they have something to offer i think because like you didn't have something to specific to offer in terms of you know you didn't know the the club owner at this club or something that was like particularly valuable currency to us but what you what you brought was uh engagement was respect was showing clear interest in all the people in the crew on a personal level and it was and you know we were we're all very aware of when people are doing that in a sycophantic kind of ass kissing way which you know if you think about mr stafford or various other people that came along uh who were like doing all that but it was so obvious that it was just they were like greasing your asshole just so they could try and get something out of you uh is greasing your asshole saying not sure. It is now. You, yeah. you get the idea, right? Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's an old Australian prison thing we, we used to do. But, yeah, because you were genuine, like you, you really wanted to, and you helped in any way that you could. Right? Like, and that's, that's something you've always been, you've always done. You've always been helpful and, and assisted people uh, around you that, in ways that they needed. And so I think that's an important takeaway is that if you want to be part of a, a exceptional crew and you're not, you know, I, I don't know, super cool and super connected, then you need to be able to come and offer something. And um, and particularly people who are in positions of influence and power, they like having people around who are interested in them as people, not just for their skill or not just for the thing they have. Um, and they always need something. Like they, they, they always have certain needs that need to be met. And if you want to get into a crew, then figure out what it is that the, that the gatekeeper or the, or the leader needs and then offer it to them as opposed to like rocking up and going, hey, can I stay? So yes, you did well with that. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit because you're obviously a handsome man and I know your, your prehistory that you were you know, brought up in, in northern Sydney, right, with, uh, with a bunch of like cool, tough car driving, football playing, hard drinking, alpha kind of guys, right? That was Correct. this. You weren't, you weren't like me where I was brought up a, a, as a flute playing, opera singing weirdo hanging out with, with the dorks. You, you came from a, from a cool background and yet that didn't seem to uh, set you up for success. So tell us a bit about like what, what it was like growing up in that culture and why it was that that didn't seem to rub off on you. So in primary school, I wasn't one of the cool kids, but then I went through puberty and in high school became one of the cool kids explicitly, explicitly through sports. Was tall, athletic, uh, had a real knack for picking things up really, really quickly um, physically. So I was playing... Rugby, basketball, doing Thai boxing, skateboarding, um, playing uh, hockey. The list just went on of all these different sports. And then, of course, that got me access, not access, but it allowed me to become friends with the other cool guys. And we were in the, the macho drinking culture where there was, you know, your stiff upper lip kind of guys. And they were all doing excellent with women they'd all lost their virginity at 13 14 and then at 17 it wasn't happening for me looking back on it they had a cocky 
sense of arrogance about them where they kind of didn't care and that was attractive to women. Whereas I was still extraordinarily sensitive on the inside, had no idea how to relate to women. And what was communicated to women looking back was just this nervous wreck who couldn't look them in the eye, had no idea how to connect with them on any level apart from being friends, of course. And I went through high school, I hadn't lost my virginity, had never had a girlfriend. And the advice that my friends were giving to me was, I remember this one time, I was at the beach with one of my mates and there was a girl, I was in year 12, she was literally in year 7 but she'd already gone through puberty and was extraordinarily beautiful, like she developed this full buxom body and we were sitting at the beach looking at the surf and she came up behind us and was like, hi Kurt! And I was like, well holy shit, like I couldn't believe that she knew my name and then she was sitting there talking, flirting and then she walked off and my friend and I just watched her walk away with this incredible sun-kissed body and I said to my friend, do you think she's ever had sex? <laughs> and he looked at me like I, I was, it was the sh- that he couldn't believe I just said what I said. And he said, dude, they all fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. That's important to keep that in mind. This is the wisdom of the Australian bogan here. Yeah. Distilled. <laughs> Mate, they all fuck. 13, 14, 15, whatever. Yeah. Damo rooted them all. And and his sexual background was that's another funny anecdote was this guy was the embodiment of like the cocky funny larrikin Australian he was really really good looking could surf was and that we were introduced through sports he was also really good at sports as well and he had that playful vibe about him that when he was fourteen he had an older sister who would have been in about year twelve at the time and there was an evening where his sister and the friends had come over to the house. They'd come back to the house after an, at an, uh, for an after party and they were all drinking. And one of his friend's sisters said to the sister, oh, what am I going to call my mate? Sam, okay. Is, she said to his sister, is Sam still a virgin? And his sister's like, what? Ugh, I, what? <laughs> and she's like, and of course they're all drunk and getting, um, and you know, feeling frisky and horny or whatever. And she says to her sister, I'm going to go into your into his room and deflower your little brother, and 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 his sister's just like. Ugh. Imagine if the genders were reversed. Exactly, right? <laughs> it would not be okay. Hey, is your like underage sister like a virgin? Because I'm going to go in there and rape her right now. If go you in there mind. and deflower her. <laughs> so this yeah, this literally happened, and uh, Sam's older sister was just like ew, and like took a cruiser and then just walked away and just thought like I'm not dealing. I don't want to deal with that. Yuck. So her friend then was like, I'm going to do it. Went into his room, got into bed with him, and deflowered him. It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. So that was his beginning. And I still and I remember being at school on Monday in the library, and he's telling me this story. And I was utterly bamboozled and perplexed. I was like, is this how it happens? So you just, you be in bed, and then a, a woman will come in, and that's what happens? No, yeah, no. And I remember the punchline like punch to the story, because even he was like, this happened, and this happened. And the, the punchline to the story was, and Kurt, guess what? Pussy tastes like mango. <laughs> he got lucky on that one okay cool so that so that was where you where you'd come from and it just didn't stick right like it was there was something that was not working for you because you just didn't have that ease of being able to well, just tell us that one line because i don't want to ruin it for because it's it stuck with me for so long because you were asking a mate like how do you get chicks right yeah yeah so this same friend like many many years later i was um couldn't be many many because that'd make it mean him 40 like let's say three years later yeah oh it was Oh, it was outside of high school and yeah. I was still struggling with women and something or other. I was like, oh, you know, this rambling about some utter shit. And I, but what was being expressed was my 
inability to connect with women or express any sort of genuine sexual intent and follow through on it in an authentic way. And he said, he grabbed me like almost around the collar and like came up really close and said, Kurt, fuck hole. As in just drop all the subterfuge, drop the agendas and just be genuine in your um, desire for women. And if they don't like it, that's fine. And that was the way that he operated. And of course, and so he was this social butterfly that would skip from woman to woman and he would express that same cocky, funny intent, like, hey, like, let's connect uh, sexually in some way, some way, come and have a drink with me. And the girls won't be like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then he'd go off with them where they'd be like, nah, no, 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 anything. Like, okay, whatever. And then go to the next one. So what it all boiled down to was get in touch with uh, your what you really want from women and don't be afraid to express that. Mm-hmm. Some are going to uh, be responsive to it. That's all good. And the ones that don't, no love lost. So all well and good for the cool jocks in or bogans in high school who somehow, uh, in whatever way, they organically kind of figured it out early. And I think, yes, getting fucked by an 18-year-old when you're 14 is a good way to, to get that uh, started. Let's Let's fast forward because... Obviously, yeah, so that's a good zero story. That's a yeah. good classic one there. Uh, and I think, yeah, because you'd, you know, because it was so painful and especially because it's in your face. Because for me, it was like I heard through the grapevine of such things on the Monday morning, like the myths, you know, that, uh, that there was a party, party. Uh, and, that, and I mean, yeah, okay, I've heard there's parties. I was certainly not invited. I wasn't even told that they happened. Uh, and then you'd hear through the grapevine that that girl that I had written poems about uh, had been fingered by some dude in the in the corner of a party, uh, which was decimating to me and confusing. And it was a world that I had no access to, aside from these myths passed down through to the the nerds. Whereas you were there and you were seeing it, and it was it was in your face, but you couldn't couldn't touch it. Correct. Um, all of my other friends had similar stories of um, losing their virginity, and the common lowest common denominator in all those stories was alcohol. Mm-hmm. So that was what I thought was the thing that was going to somehow unlock this world of being able to connect with women because the recipe was uh, the party's on on whatever night, you go out, you get your alcohol, you drink until you can barely stand, you go to the party and then somehow you connect with women and the end, right? Mm -hmm. So that was working for all of my friends because they had those cheeky qualities that was endearing towards women. They could go out, drink, be gregarious and uh, what's the word? I don't want to say actually... They can drink, be gregarious, and uh, not be ashamed in their desire for them. Whereas for Make me... Make a move. If it got knocked back, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. Whereas for me, it was constant anxiety and struggle. And what am I doing? What's what, I just had no idea what to do. Mm. So then it just turned into drinking and getting paralytic drunk. Right. <laughs> and then having to hear this, the horror stories of, well, so when you were passed out in the sandpit face down, like well, I was off with Tina from such and such in Tina. the grade above. And you're like, what? No, oh, Tina. Oh, shit. Um, let's bounce into the future. There's obviously a lot, lot that happened in between in terms of how you moved out of that. Maybe we can return to that. But I want to talk about the style of, of seducer that you are today and have, have been for quite some time. In the nicest possible way, I'd say you're not super alpha in the way that you project yourself to women. Uh, and that's always been a strength of our crew that there is all these different styles from the most like hardcore dance floor trigger pullers from Wolf through to, you know, the most subtle, low energy, uh, dark horses, the, the fun cocky dudes, the whatever I am. But you, you've, you've re- retained your sensitivity, you've retained your empathetic nature and your 
like desire to connect with humans, which I think is like a primary value of yours to really feel connection. And yet at some, at some points that was really doing you a disservice in the sense you were too sensitive, you were too empathetic, and then you would be friend zoned and you weren't able to, to move on your own desire. But these days, it's, it's been interesting for me watching you because we, we've been se- separated for, last, for some number of years, you know, because you're in Australia. But as in the last year since you've been back here and watching you interacting with women, noticing that interestingly, often it's very kind of alpha women and very sexy, like capable, confident women seem to seek you out. And they treat you in a very different way than they would treat, I think, most other men in their lives. Uh, in the sense that you seem to be perceived as an ally that's on their side uh, and not just in a friend zone way. And I, and I know you've had experiences in the past where that then did lead you to being friend zone because you weren't able to handle the woman. But as you've gotten better and better at that, uh, seeing these, these interesting examples of girls who are usually quite difficult, uh, play a lot of games because they kind of have to. Often they're, they're women who are involved in like being professionally hot, whether that's as a stripper or model or a porn star or uh, some form of you know sex worker or whatever. You seem to have found this this balance where they feel super comfortable with you and they and they tell you because I, I I hear your stories all the time. They tell you these magnificent wild uh, anecdotes of their real life, which they wouldn't be able to tell the alpha the you know the alpha tough that they're maybe working on or have been with in the past so tell me a little bit talk talk to us about that because it's i think it's an an interesting archetype it's not uh the most common one that people think of when they think of okay guy competent with women but it is really relevant to a lot of guys that that come to us or they're interested in us because they have these like more soft and sensitive sides to them and often i think they feel like okay i need to crush that part of myself i really need to obliterate my weaknesses and then they perceive you know the sensitivity or the um you know caring about other people or feeling emotions at a heightened level as a weakness and they try to crush that and then replace it with some you know stoic hardcore bad boy so talk to me about maybe the transition of how that those qualities went from being a disadvantage to an advantage and yeah some of the some of the ways that you now interact with women that seem to lead them to be really really open with you Right. Yeah. So you're, you're exactly right. Like when I first started out in this and even before I knew that you could practice uh, relating to women uh, in a in a structured way, uh, I was always a very, very a sensitive guy. But I attempted to crush that part of myself or overlay it with often a lot of violent activities. I was into kickboxing and had a few fight, like had a few fights like in the ring, was drinking a lot, doing a lot of drugs and attempting to affect this mask of alphaness. And it just, it was never, it was not working with women. And I had a few times where I had attempted to, uh, in the early days, uh, affect this mask of alphaness and be very, very direct and bold. And I remember being called out on it one time by a particular woman and she just saw straight through it. And she said, that's not you. <laughs> and I remember, I, I remember still being at the club where it was because she challenged me on something. And I think I'd attempted to like push her into the wall um, and make out with it, which it was contextual at the time because there was, there was this flirtation kind of going on. She kind of came up against the wall and thought, and she literally said, this isn't you. <laughs> You're way more sensitive. That's not your move. That's not your move. And I had to, and I had to admit to myself at the time, I thought, yeah, that, that actually isn't. 
And what I realized later on, like I was speaking to a mentor about this and he came out and said to me as well, like you're a very, very sensitive person. Don't try and crush that. And he said, a man needs to be soft in his touch, but hard in his intention. Well, that's a good line. Who was that? It was Shantam Nityama. Uh And yeah, so uh, this is a guy who can give women orgasms by going like this. Yeah, or it's like this, like with his eyes. With his eyes. We'll get onto that later. Yeah. And so if we don't, you'll be thinking about that for the rest of your life. <laughs> so that was, that was another one of the mentors that I had sought out. And he said that to me. And what I realized that this is a really, really alpha guy. Like he is very much at his masculine power. He's very much about very, very strict and not strict, but very direct expressions of masculine power. And for a guy like that to say that, I, what I also realized was when he's with women he is extraordinarily soft in his touch but his intention you can tell is so strong when it's directed towards a person that whatever his intention is you would have to remove the person they'd have to be abducted by aliens and taken away for that intention to be broken you'd have to take the person away and he said that to me and then i then i realized that tenderness itself is power and it's the difference between and then i also realize the difference between force and power so now when i'm in with uh, women, I'm cultivating that tender side, and as far as my intent goes, like I'm a, so, I'm a, I am a sensitive and sort of tender guy. But when it comes to intent, now I'm one of the harder guys a woman's going to meet because I'm completely on my square in my lane the whole time, and that signals to them that I'm trustworthy because no matter what they throw at me, uh, I'll be solid there that's an important point let's talk about what does that mean for for a woman to feel trust in a man because a lot of like nice guys would perceive that as like reliable and like there to do her bidding in in some ways right that she can trust him to to be at her beck and call but it's not that right like Mm. what's the what's the what's this type of trust that's so important it's the trust that uh i can handle their deepest truth and will be uh non-judgmental unaffected by it as in, well, not, well, I'll be affected by it as in it'll penetrate to me and I'll feel them really, really closely, but it won't ever be met with judgment or pulling away from them or not being able to handle them. Mm -hmm. And as you said, like a lot of the women that I've been connecting with pretty much ever since I got uh, into this have been women who have had some sort of background in the sex industry, uh, either working as strippers in Porn, escorting, sugar babying, um, all of it. So I'm not of their world, but I can step into it and they can accept me into that world knowing that I can handle the reality of what goes on for them. And then they can act in a way that's completely without agenda, without uh, subterfuge or feeling that they need to impression manage in any way to save a guy's opinion of them. There's no Madonna whore judgment there. I can hold space for them and then they can express themselves in uh, completely free ways. This is, and this is vitally important because we've talked about this. We will often say non-judgmentalism is, is an important paradigm, but the, the power of it is extreme, right? Because women live in constant judgment. Like the, if you're a, a woman who's in any way visible, right? You're beautiful or you have big tits or you're sensual or you walk down the street with a swing in your hips or you dance in a club. Uh, if you're in any way visible as, a, as an attractive female, then you are subject to constant scrutiny by men and women, a lot, often by, more by women. Uh, and then your actions 
just particularly your sexual actions or even the hint of them or the or the rumor of them vastly affects the way people perceive you and treat you and therefore your social standing and so you know judgment sexual judgment particularly for women it's different in different scenes and different countries and different religious groups or whatever but overall women understand early on that they have to hide most of their sexuality and often women's sexuality is only ever hinted at by the fact that she has a boyfriend and they're walking around with their arms around each other like the the rest of it is is hidden uh, and yeah, because I've, I've met a bunch of the women you've been with and I've heard a lot of the stories, uh, which are often like flabbergasting. And to flabbergast me takes quite a lot. And, and I've been consistently flabbergasted by, which is a great word, isn't it? Yeah. By uh, these anecdotes. Because the girls for this, for I guess for that reason, that they can sense in you that you don't, that you don't have, your ego is not invested in whether she's slutty or not. Because right? I think so many men, particularly actually more like alpha men, often they, who are not super solid in their own personal core and, and get validation from external sources, and they might be good at it, right? So they might get quite a lot of validation or attention from women and so on. But often those men are really invested in that woman being something particular and that she is, you know, mine or that she's, uh, you know, a, a high tier ticket item because she doesn't fuck much or because she's hard to get. Uh, and therefore, you know, then I have her and now she's a possession and you've never exhibited that. Cause I've seen you even in long-term relationships where they were open and, uh, and you know, the girl might be sleeping with more guys than, than you were because for whatever reason, and you didn't seem to be affected by that. And it's not that that's for everyone. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys won't want to be in a situation where their primary girlfriend is with other people, but that attitude that you've had, it has meant that they feel comfortable. You're on their side of the trench. Uh, and they tell you the truth that they can't tell other guys because it's not like, and uh, you know, when guys talk about women being liars and you know they're always playing games, yeah, they have to. Like if you're if you're put in a game where the character that you are is not the character that everyone else perceives, and that everyone else is invested in you being that different character, you have to play the other character, otherwise you're you'll get punished for it. And so having creating a safe space, creating a, a container between the two of you where they're able to go okay i can put all that down uh, i can be actually myself slutty lazy whatever gluttonous whatever it is uh they can reveal that to you why do they do that with you that's a good question and i think it comes back to having it well at in the start this didn't this quality whatever it is we think we'll unpack it it didn't always serve me in good ways because as I was interacting with women, there were certain, and we're having a conversation with them, there'd be certain things often in their story that didn't add up. And as you said, there, there was a certain narrative or projection that they were attempting to maintain in my presence originally. So they've got to be like, the, there's some element of being a good girl or something or else, or there's something that... Um, justifying some behavior or whatever. Justifying some behavior. And at the time, like when I was much younger, often we'd be out drinking, maybe doing drugs or whatever and i'd see these holes in their story and in a quite usually in, a, in an uncalibrated way i'd call them out on precisely what was wrong whole, what was wrong in their story and it's, it was almost like there's a hole in your story and i think you've got a trigger point right there and just stick my finger in it and often that would result in uh the girl having a really really extreme reaction and coming out and revealing something that she'd been holding onto for a very, very long time. And I mean, often really extreme stories uh, from women who had been sexually abused, ones that just felt hopelessly lost, 
uh, had been through terrible breakups with their boyfriend and the thing that was that they'd been holding on to and then trying to protect I just found the point where that was and bumbled into it and it was a, it was, it was a result of that sensitivity and that empathy that we were talking about earlier and I'd end up in these explosive weird situations I could probably give an anecdote or two about how that looked nowadays when I see that I recognize it for what it is and then just allow her to relax into my own uh, presence and maintain just a little bit of distance that she can just feel like she can fall into it and eventually whatever it is that she was hanging on to will come out in the in the course of her conversation and really really consistently uh, there'll be a woman telling me something about that she'll just fall into in a conversation and she'll stop and then I remember we walking I was walking down Varashazutsa on a date and this this same thing happened um we were having a conversation about something it led into something else and then rather than her attempt to cover the point of this personal part of her story she just revealed it and we're walking along and then she came to her feet came to a stop she was thinking about something looked at me and said women do this a lot with you don't they and all I could say was yes and then this this particular girl was really really sharp like I think perspicacious is the word. I haven't heard that word before. Perspicacious? Perspicacious. Is that a thing? Yeah, like keenness of mind and mm-hmm. an incisive mind that can see, see through bullshit. And she thought about it, continued on, and then that was the, the foundation of the relationship as mm-hmm. it's um, continued on to this day where she's completely uh, expressed. There's not, a, there's not a hint of repression in anything that is going on in her life. And she said so many times, like, I feel so comfortable in being able, us being able to talk about this mm-hmm. um, just is so nice and revealing. It's not revealing. Like liberating or a, re- a relief. Yeah. So there's obviously this could easily be you could easily be the gay friend in this situation, right? Like you could easily be in the situation where she feels so comfortable with you that she can tell you the truth, but she doesn't see you as a sexual prospect, which I know has happened to you. Uh, I remember the story of Mary. Yeah, Ma- oh, Mary, yeah, her. Mary, um, who, you know, played you on and off for a couple of years. But yeah, let's, let's revisit that idea where you talked about you, you allow enough space for the girl to fall into this, fall into it or fall into like say revealing herself Uh, because that's another thing I've noticed about your game is that often it's like the girls kind of make a move on you right but but there's a space that's been created where that's possible and this is something that obviously Liam's been investigating a lot uh, dealing with much very high tier women that are under under a lot of um, that everyone wants to fuck them (laughs) and that when you have women in high demand and the women that you've been around because they are visually like obvious Right, so they look very sexy or attractive, or like, you know, like sex objects in some ways. Uh, that men then often perceive them simply as that, and that they have some entitlement to the, that, or that they can judge them as like, oh yeah, she's a slut, or she's a this, or whatever. But this this concept of of allowing a woman the space to chase or to be interested in a man, which is a very unusual thing for an attractive woman a woman to be in that situation. Right, because if she's hot, she has men from every age, from fucking sixteen to sixty, uh, directing their 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 not particularly well calibrated intent at them, and always trying to impress them or conquer them in some way. Now, of course, if we just sit in the corner and do nothing with no intent, then we can allow all the space we want. I mean, I could sit and sit on the street corner and be allowing all sorts of space and get nowhere. There's a context, of course, and usually that's within some kind of social circle. But what is it? What is it about this that's 
that works. Like, talk to me a bit about this, the psychology or what the way that you perceive it happens for a woman, this process of her getting to take autonomy over her desire and start to make moves. You made a really good point where I could have, where you said, I could easily have just fallen into being the gay friend where I'm not perceived in any way as a masculine presence in her life that she might want to engage with intimately. And I think that the difference there is it, it does come down to intent. So at different stages when I'm interacting with uh, a woman, my intent is going to shift and it will move through holding space, allowing her to move into that space uh, and feel comfortable there. And it might shift to receiving her or witnessing her as she is and allowing her to be who she fully is uh, in a fully expressed way uh, through to moving forward uh, towards her uh, with a sexual intent. But there isn't an agenda there. It's fully uh, what my truth is in my body at the time. So I think that with nice guys, there's tentativeness there. It's not quite calibrated. They're not confident in their... uh, in themselves and the women can feel that it comes across uh, as these mixed messages this guy doesn't know what he's doing I can't trust where he's at because there's this uh, veil there of anxiety and stuff there so I think with me there's I'm not saying there's none of that but there's very little of it such that the woman can fall into that's that initial space of that initial space of the initial tent or intent rather of holding space and just allowing her to be and then receiving her and you know witnessing her as she is and in that space there's always a subtle gap left between us where she can fall into it and find her own attraction for me and I know this not because I've figured it out and I think that I've got women figured out because they've because they've later told me about this and it's an it's, example of a girl telling you about it. Uh, it's Right, okay. So I remember there was one woman in our social circle that we had um, been going out with some particular uh, club nights and she was, a prof- she was pr- a professional porn star. Like She made porn professionally. And if she walked into the room, you know, if you looked at her, you wouldn't guess that she was a bank teller. She looked extraordinarily provocative. And what I later discovered was that she... she that was her truth. That was what, how she felt like expressing herself in the world. And the porn was a natural extension of that. So we went out, we were going out together for, and hanging out. And I did exactly what I just said. I just allowed space for her to be who she was. We um, were interacting, drinking together, just hanging out. And over the course of maybe three meetings of going out, at the end of one of the nights, I was on the couch and... Uh, just sitting there with a drink and I found myself opposite her and the whole dynamic had changed it was turned into her seducing me she came in close was incidentally touching me uh, moving in close and then we had a kiss on the couch and I thought wow that's, a, that's amazing like what, what happened there and as a, as a over a course of you know communicating with her after that night we'd, we'd gone home together and she said yeah the first night I saw you I was interested in you and I, I needed that time to suss you out and see how you moved in the, in the space. Because she said, I knew that you and Liam hung around with a lot of women, but I, wa- I needed to know that you were trustworthy uh, because you might have been doing that in a player kind of disingenuous way where you were trying to get something out of the women. But once I realised that this was just the way that you lived and I could be myself and that you weren't 
sweating me, so to speak. She said, the way that I dress and the way that I look, I've constantly got male attention and I can't trust men because I know they want something from me. And she used the expression of it felt like octopus tentacles on the back of her neck. There's this constant attention where she felt like men had, where men felt like they had access to her or they had a right over her because of the way that she dressed and what she did professionally. So she said, I was using that time to suss out you guys and then see if I could trust you. And then once I knew that I could, uh, in the space that was created um, by you guys, not sweating me, not expressing any neediness, I knew I could be myself, and then that was when I acted. And that's when I, I came and sat with you on the couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an, a really interesting phenomena. It's like, I think it's really important to understand because it, it gives an insight into the world of the, of the pretty woman, of the beautiful woman. On the other hand, it's also it's it's difficult to reconcile with cold approach, right? Because uh, this this kind of thing is reliant on multiple multiple occasions of proximity, right? Like so, this this is well when we're looking at social circle game or uh, lifestyle engineering, because uh, the, there's a very big difference. If I'm going out cold on the street, I can't really do that. Like there's there's ways in which I do that. It, actually, when we're, when I think about it subtly, like okay, I, I am direct and I'm clearly going for what going for something i have an agenda when i go and approach the girl but then through the usage of qualifying or leaving gaps and space of uh you know not being super ego not not validating the girl all the time that, that we have we create some of the, the impression of that where she can get the sense of like okay maybe he is that kind of guy that if i was to be in the you know in the scene with him i could i could hook up with that guy without it being a drama and if you want to take things like, cause cold, we've said this before. Cold approach is not the end. It's not the. It's it's a vitally important skill because you have to be able to meet strangers and you need to be able to bring them into your lives. And it's far more effective than sitting and waiting in a in any kind of social scene, even if it is a really good one. But at the at the more effective higher levels, the the great combination of because when you think about it, like all of those girls in in our social circle uh, that you've hooked up with or other people have hooked up with were brought in through cold approach. Right, like somebody, somebody approached them at some point uh, and invited, invited them to join the crew. And Liam's, Liam's been doing that a lot in the, over the last year or so, just inviting girls in without, uh, without trying to fuck them. Right, so to bringing them in because more hot girls attracts more hot girls. Because being around them all the time, it rubs off on you. It create, creates a demeanor where you're not, you're not stressed out about hot girls because they're sitting on the couch. You know, they're, they're part, of, part of your life. And so I think it's an important thing for guys to look at it in their longer term progress. Okay, in the beginnings, maybe it's going to be just you and the streak. Uh, but as soon as, as soon as you can, bringing in a wingo or bringing, building some kind of social world or, or ingratiating yourself into somebody else's and then showing yourself as, a, as an archetype within that. And, and when girls come into our scene, it's, it's, you see that at a party or whatever, like girls will come and pick out one of us. Uh, because we we ignite some particular thing. If they've got daddy issues and they want to be tied up, they come straight to me. If they you know, if they've got a, a very very extreme sexual life and they want someone that they can feel comfortable with just being that or or, or being themselves, they might go to you. Uh, you know, if they're if they're into like the quick fuckboy thing with the cool dude, they might go to Liam or Alex and so on. So uh, yeah, it's important for men to understand that the. There's a lot more to this than just trying to go and meet a, a stranger on the street. It's really looking at a, an entire way of living with women, like of having women in your life. And yeah, I think you've outlined some of the absolute core fundamentals of, of that, which is, you know, non-judgmentalism, which is easy to say and hard to do. Right? Like it's something that took me... I'm finally... I think I'm finally okay 
like, fuck, man, you know me. I was jealous and crazy about this shit for a long time. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't care who they fuck anymore. I don't think. I haven't had a rise out of that in a long, long time. And uh, yeah, I, I see female sexuality now because like the really, the real reality of it, that it's, uh, that it's animalistic, that it is primal, that it is not romantic necessarily, that it it's not attached to just one man and and coming to peace with that like coming to peace that yeah she wants my dick and she wants that other dick <laughs> she you know she is a sweet and lovely and 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 uh you know sensitive girl and she's a wild raging fucking hedonistic slut uh coming to peace with those those dichotomies and those paradoxes understanding women from women's sides it puts you in the inner circle it puts you in the one percent and that that's where i think you now kind of exist is that that, and, and it's of, of, not for every girl. There's some girls that will look at you and like not interested. But for, you know, for some quite sizable group of girls, you're the guy where they're like, okay, he gets it. He's on our side. I can fuck him or not, and it won't be a big deal. We could do that and then go back to being friends. We could do that and have a casual thing. I can have a boyfriend and still be seeing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you did recently, where you went with your lover slash wing girl travel to to berlin so both of you could go off on your on your own separate uh love affairs and then come back together and debrief you know that kind of that kind of world's fucking amazing you know like that's that really is uh an entry into an elite sector of society so there's two great things that came out of that response that i think are worth uh addressing the first one is you said you know how can guys reconcile cold approach with the last anecdote that i gave which was essentially a social circle connection with a woman a social circle seduction and the other one was what's it like being an insider to a woman's sexual landscape in its unfiltered form uh, and that she's uh, comfortable communicating with you about so the first thing is uh, all of these things that I'm doing at the moment are possible because of going out and putting myself in front of people without any context in a cold approach situation. It's an, it's an extraordinarily powerful mirror because in that moment, everything that uh, you need to work on as a man is going to be held up to you during that interaction. So when going back to that first, um, my first attempted cold approach in Gloria Jeans in Bondi Junction nearly 10 years ago, uh, in that moment, everything that I needed to work on was being held up to me. I had self-worth issues I'd held on to past traumas where I'd been rejected by girls I was not comfortable with myself Uh, I thought that I had to present as a particular type of tough alpha kind of dude was not okay with my own sensitivity and all these things were being held up and saying you need to work on this because until you do you're not going to be able to connect with women all these things are going to come back up and fuck you up so when we're out coaching guys and they're going through this process as well these are all the necessary prerequisites i think for its um direct corollary which is establishing a social circle with people that are into a like scene with you i would say that my uh interactions with women are now probably tipped just over halfway a social circle um as a result of establishing myself in social worlds where there's the kind of women that I want to attract and also going out and meeting women uh, in the streets, in the community, in cold approach situations. They have to be balanced for both to work, right? Mm. So I think that, so that's the value of coming along uh, and receiving coaching with us because we're also, because we're going to be the one that pushes you into those situations where the mirror's held up to you and then help you to read the, uh, the feedback that you're getting, okay? Like you went out, you had a 
freak out because you know you said hi to a woman and then she didn't say anything and it's like no sale and guys say the most like uh catastrophic things like i say you know go and say uh introduce yourself to the woman at the bus stop she's you know same thing got a yoga mat and a book she looks really friendly and the guy will say hi and then she'll say mm, no get on the bus and then i'll come back it's like oh she rejected me it, it was terrible like it's all over my life i'm gonna be lonely forever and okay you've just been held up uh your own insecurities let's read what that marriage is held back to us totally and that's uh for unfortunately for many men that's the where it stops yeah because it's like here's the shit you need to work on and they're like no thanks i will create some excuses and then i'll retreat into my shell and then uh and i'll wait and i'll i'll wait for fate to to fix it for me i think it's really important to look at even this in terms of impressions or or like a metric of social credits in the sense that cool guys and hot girls or just girls by the time they're 20 something have spent hundreds of hours in these kinds of social scenarios like if a girl's pretty and she started going to parties when she was 16 or something by the time she's 20 she's been to 100 parties you know she's she's had a thousand men try and fuck her or approach her in some kind of way she's been dealing dealing with guys older than her cooler than her more sophisticated she's been navigating through social scenarios she's been uh playing machiavellian games against other girls and all this kind of stuff and so it means that she just has a whole lot more training time uh in terms of being socially capable as as did the your mates from back in the day who uh you know from age 14 or whatever were were living that and so it was never there's never a question of like i need to set aside time to learn this now it's because they did it by being cool and, and going to parties or you know just being part of part of the social world when a large percentage of men were not doing that the the rest of the guys the nerdy guys the uh the introverted guys the not placed guys uh, the not made men or whatever those guys then waited and so often what we're seeing is guys coming to us who just don't have the reps they just have not done the reps and so they have to play catch up and that's what we're attempting to do in a workshop right where where they'll get years worth of experience in seven days because if they meet a hundred beautiful women which is pretty normal on a workshop of ours not just saying hi and then walking off but having a hundred good well, at real interactions. That's years worth of them sitting around waiting for waiting for a girl to, to pop in. And so there's no there's no avoiding it. It's so either you did it when you were young because you were placed well, uh, or you are going to need to to catch up. And that's this is where the idea of like, oh, just let it happen and being and I'll just be organic at about it. And I've got my own thing going on, and you know, girls will, you know, when the right time comes, all that bullshit just means that there's rep time being passed where other guys and the girls are continuing to become more effective. So yeah, I think that's um, something that guys need to be aware of, especially if they get a little sniff of this social circle thing because they're like, oh, maybe that's a replacement. Like maybe that's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I don't want to do the cold approach stuff. I'm just going to focus on my social circle, uh, which inevitably is going to mean dicking around in their small social circle, thirstily hunting after the same girl that all the other guys are hunting after, uh, as opposed to actually going out there and earning your stripes. That's a really, really good point that um, I think it's a, uh, a foible that guys can fall into by thinking that they can avoid facing up to the fears that would come out as a result of doing cold approach by uh, engineering a social circle or getting into a scene that will somehow bring uh, women into their lives. And I see this a lot with guys that we've coached. They'll be hesitant to take a, do a workshop and say, I'm just going to go and work on this other social project. And I can see uh, in their in that conversation that this isn't going to work because you 
aren't working through the issues that are holding you back. You may create um, a situation around you where it can be covered up, but it has to come out eventually. And um, even though a woman may come into your life in, in an organic social situation, when it comes down to it, are you going to be able to handle it? Are you going to be able to handle her when it, when it uh, is needed? Are you going to be able to express intent, be a man, assert boundaries, and essentially be, be, be someone that she can trust to fall into when shit hits the fan? either emotionally or when it comes time to have a confrontation or to take her through something sexually, uh, provide protection and security. If you haven't gone through the process of earning those qualities and traits as a man, it's just it's not going to work in the long term. And one of the great things about doing cold approach is it's held up to you immediately and you can find the things that you need to work on. So I think that they do need to be balanced if you do attempt to use cold approach to um, fix these th- these things in you as a man. It's going to be very confrontation, very confrontational to yourself. It's a harder process, but the results I think are profound because um, in this podcast I could give many many anecdotes about women who I've uh, connected with in a semi cold approach situation, but also through social circle. And I'm, what I mean is women that have come through the orbit of a social circle that I'm working, um, sorry, that I'm uh, associated with. And I will then connect with a woman who's marginally associated with that. But because of the work that I've done uh, in a cold approach situation, I'm able to handle her. I'm able to handle that pressure and do all of the things that we teach on workshop. Whereas if I had not done that, I'd be the same bumbling little boy that I was in high school because I was in uh, social circles where women were um, around. But having not done that work, uh, it was just all falling flat. I didn't know how to connect. I didn't know the rules of engagement with a woman. Couldn't hold space. I was needy, smothering the flame of attraction whenever it might have happened to arise somehow. So I think it's important that they're balanced and there's no way of, there's no way of getting around doing your work on yourself. The other point that you were making was having female allies where you're a trusted... Uh, insider into their full sexual landscape and with most of the women that I'm connecting with now as a result of uh, creating a space where they can be themselves in a completely unfiltered way means that they're communicating with me about the full spectrum of their sexual landscape and it is extraordinary like the the what does that mean because the average guy's like she likes sex well that's a given right or that should be a belief or not a belief or it should be something that you know to be true in the world just like the world's flat like the world like exactly yeah whatever's going on on this plane (laughs) it's not an opinion it's just like science right so it's fine yeah what is surprising is the extent to which they've explored what it means to be a sexual creature in the world over the course of their lives and it is so much more varied than what you might ever have an insight into if they ever felt that there was the hint that they could be judged as a result of communicating that or that it was unsafe for them to do so or that as a result of them communicating that uh, your evaluation of them might shift and it could mean the end of the relationship or cause a problem in your relating. Whereas for us, it's like, whoa, you did what? Exactly. So uh, there's so many anecdotes in my head, but I'm going to try and have to bundle them up because... How about I give how about I give one because I've got one very clear one. Yeah, cool. So, a lover of mine recently told me that when she was uh, 14, she ran away from home, moved in with a couple of drug dealers, 
as you do, and uh, went out. And then the dealers texted her and said, don't come home. And she assumed they were fucking some chicks. So she came home. And the police were waiting there. These are Ukrainian police. And grabbed her by the scruff of the neck, going, you're, you're nicked. Took her down to the police station because she'd been reported missing. And she's sitting there, 14, and she says, and policeman was quite pretty. And I said, do you have handcuffs? He said, yeah. I said, give me. Ukraine, so he did. Just handed her the handcuffs. She put them on and said, no, my wrist is too small. He said, hey, I'll show you. Put her hands behind her wrist, handcuffed her. She leant over, kissed him on the neck, and then he bent her over the table and fucked her. And she was very, and this was, and she was like, I did that. Like, I made that happen. That was awesome. (laughs) Mind blown. What were you doing when you were 14, everybody? (laughs) It wasn't that. Getting arrested. Well, for a start, I wasn't arrested, so I would never have been in the police station to ask for the handcuffs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All of those things wouldn't have happened. And that is just like a a story of hers. That's a story, yeah. Okay, I've got another one in my head. This one isn't quite as extreme, but also a friend of, uh, a woman I'd connected with, gave me a story of when she was 14, she was at the local fruit shop or something like that uh, down at the end of her street and there was this Notting Hill moment where she picked an apple out and a few more apples fell down oh. and there was an older man who caught the apple on the way uh, as it was tumbling down onto the floor and they had this little moment of connection. So she's 14 and they, he, she starts talking with this man and it's kind of flirtatious and there's this back and forth. And at the end of the conversation he says, you know, we should go out on a date and then progresses and asks to set up the next meeting. And she said in a moment of honesty, oh, I'm, I'm 14. And the guy who evidently, who turns out was 35 at the time, was just like, oh, right. And then uh, with, with, with as much um, finesse as he could, just exited out of the situation. Like, I'm not dealing with that. And I said, so... Which is I, the right thing to do unless you're a Ukrainian policeman, in which case you're pure evil anyway, so go for it. Right, right. And she said to me, uh, it was not like I looked young. She said, I'd already gone through puberty at 13. So as far as anyone was concerned, I was 20. And she was so, like, I think enamored or this guy had, like, captured something in her that every day, I think for, she said, it was a number of weeks, she went back to the same fruit shop at the same time and ordered and bought her one apple <laughs> in the hope that he would, event, he would they would meet again. Mm-hmm. And I think in the fourth week, they did meet again. And then she was much more direct in assuring him that it was okay to you know proceed and start something off so she had this affair with a 35 year old when she was 14 that lasted for some months and she would go over to his house while his girlfriend at the time was out and they had this amorous love affair that no one ever knew about and like that was one of her like things that Mm -hmm. one of her secrets in her in the in the firmament of her sexual (laughs) starscape that no one had ever learned about it's yeah it's truly mind-boggling when you when you start digging and find find out the truth and and i know we just talked a lot about 14 year olds having sex which we probably shouldn't have uh can we just adjust that in post-production cool but the point being is that especially when they're yeah, like the girls will start this very young and these days very young. And by the time they're 18 to 20, they've lived a full sexual life. Often when guys are barely starting, you know, getting their first hand job, the girl has already had, you know, lovers decades older and gone to swingers parties and been tied up by policemen and all sorts of other shit. So, you know what? I know there's guys out there, the moment they hear these stories, they just like slut. Like their instant, their instant reaction is to go, she's a slut. Which is such a misunderstanding of the nuances of what a slut really is. Like to like to to bracket someone's exploration, their like 
fucking creativity, their bravery, their their ability to you know create desire, all of these extra extraordinary skills and amazing things that girls will do in their pursuit of their sexuality, and we have in pursuit of ours. Uh, but we just don't get get called sluts; we get called players. The moment you hear that and it's confronting to you, and you go, and and you have to go, ah, oh, she's she's one of those. She's one of those because I can't, I can't place that exactly. My girlfriend, no. My sister, no. Any girl I'm going to be with, she's going to be a good girl. This dichotomy, if you, if you found yourself getting triggered by that in some way, aside from the underage thing and the policeman, fair enough, you need to investigate that because it's, that will be the thing that really – because women see that. They see that so quickly and easily that you give one little comment about a girl wearing a slutty dress – uh, or you like judge any other woman in the vicinity, she recognizes that that's only an angle away from being directed to her. So for us, and, and it's funny also, there's the, like the sense of outrage as well, because there would have been a time when I'd heard that policeman's story and I would have been outraged. Like I would have been horrified that this is so wrong. And it is wrong on, 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 you know, in society morals, but it's like she decided. She she made that choice. She she made it happen. Just like in my story as well. Yeah. She was definitely the um, the catalyst that made that happen. After the man initially expressed his hesitation, was like, no, you're too young. Mm-hmm. And then she went back and was like, I'm attracted to you. I'm sexually mature enough to be able to handle this. And she knew it very, very consciously. And that was mm. like ingrained into the story. And she's like, I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And so far as that secret little affair was concerned, it was beautiful. Mm. And she'd never told that to anyone. And at mm-hmm. the end of it, she had another moment of, does that bother you when I tell you that? And I said, no, it actually really doesn't. Like, this is an amazing gift that you've just given me because it's teaching me about the, just how broad in scope female sexuality is. And it teaches me to be accepting of that. And this is a great learning experience for me. And what you've just given me is beautiful by sharing uh, a part of yourself that you felt you could not express to anybody else for fear of judgment, um, being labeled a particular thing. And the space that I've created here just allowed you to express that. That's beautiful. I think that when guys label, or anyone rather, uses someone's sexuality as an insult, it's the most appalling thing that, that could possibly ever happen, whether you're talking about you know, people making homophobic comments, queer-phobic comments, uh, Madonna whore comments about women, whatever. Because if we make the assumption that the life force energy that is uh, that animates a person and gives them life is the, is the same sexual energy that is imbued in a person at the moment of orgasm and conception when the egg and the sperm meet together. It inherently teaches a person to hate themselves because the same thing that gave them life is now being used as a weapon against them. Fucking appalling is that. Mm-hmm. Good way to keep entire societies under a boot heel. Right. Well, we've had a good rant. Um, there's, a, there's a whole other area that I wanted to investigate with you, but as Liam McRae would say... We could do a whole podcast on that, and we probably will. But let's just give a little little taste of it before we say goodbye. Now, I know that you, for the last lots of years, have been exploring uh, sexuality in, in, in a very particular way, uh, seeking out a lot of amazing teachers and, and going to a lot of different workshops and, and seeking out women who are, let's say, you know, sex priests, priestesses. And that, that's one of, the, one of the strengths of the TNL crew is that all of us we're not nobody's a copy of me it's not like dudes come in and pretend to be james and that's a b-grade version of james it's like everyone has gone on their own and continues to go on their own learning journey seek traveling the world seeking out masters and 
instruction in all sorts of areas. One area that you've really seems to be specializing in in the last number of years is, let's say, conscious sexuality. I, I think you can explain that better than me. But tell me a little bit about like what's that journey been like and what have you gotten out of it? Because these are areas that most guys will not have really even heard of or if they have, they might just go, oh, that sounds like hippie weird shit. Uh, so maybe you can lift the little little on what conscious sexuality, conscious kink is. There was a time many, many years ago where you and I went to a party and I think this was a catalyzing moment for us uh, in the explorations of what our sexual expression would look like. I remember we went to a, a party that was a, like a, it was a pseudo sex party, like it was organized where everybody had to bring a girl and it was the pretense behind the party was that everybody, it would be a, a touch and play kind of event and people could hook up and it would be like a, uh, not quite a swingers party where everyone had to put the keys in the fruit bowl, but there'd be... Uh, everyone was given sort of free reign to explore the, explore the guys just said it's going to be a sex party right. I remember like <laughs> and Andrew's like yeah we're having a like sex party everyone brings like a chick and then you like have sex with them uh, something like that anyway we went to this we went to a party we went to a party it was some kind of party like it, that it was some kind of party like that and I remember at the end of the night I'd connected with a woman and you'd connected with a woman and two we no because remember I brought two home you brought two home yeah, because you remember, like, what happened? We got in the car and we're driving along and that, that little sassy one says something like, I've heard you're a complete asshole in bed and I need to be used. Something like that. Like, something very, like... and Because I'd hooked up with a nice hippie girl. She, that's right. She was coming home and it was like, okay, me and her are together. And then this, like, nasty little hot thing decided she was going to jump in. And so she... Says I need to be used tonight or something like that, and I didn't say anything. I just said I think I just went uh huh or we'll see or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and you and you had another girl. I remember. So we brought home three, and there was more. Like because it was you, me, and Liam, and we just took all the girls home. Yeah, something like that. I do remember being in a maxi taxi, and the 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 party just was transported in the car, and our version of the party, and we went home. But with that, the young sassy woman, I remember being in the cab and that was the start of her antagonism towards you to elicit uh, a strong masculine response. And what she was after was like an extreme form of, uh, let's say, force play uh, in in a BDSM kind of way. And I remember we went back home. You went into the bedroom with your woman that you were with. I went into the bedroom with the woman I was in. And they were both into really, really heavy forms of... Uh, submission and wanted to be dominated in in an extreme way I remember I remember that she like she was deep throating with such violence and like and she grabbed my hand put it on her hair and like forced me like forced me to like jackhammer her head down until she threw up on my sheets and then she kept going that was that was that to me that I hadn't I didn't I didn't know that before Yeah, <laughs> that that changed. Yeah, actually, that night changed a lot of things because it was like I was like, and with night, you were, I remember you were doing some crazy knife play with your girl, right? Like there was yeah, there was, well, it that was, was that was heavy. That was the entree because uh, right. once she expressed an interest in doing knife play, I don't even know how it came out that I had a fishing knife in my room. She might have even said, "Hey, have you got any knives in the room?" <laughs> and <laughs> that might have been how it came out. Mm-hmm. But uh, even in those even those many years ago. Uh, I recognized the situation for what it was and was like, okay, we're going to explore something quite heavy. And I took a moment back and said, okay, so what are we going to, let's empty out the space and then we can, let's discuss what are we going to put into it? What are you okay with? What are you not okay with? And the things she put into it, like, I don't even want to say it on the podcast because it's going to be so easy for this to be, I don't want to end up as a thumbnail and a me too thing. Right. Okay. Then we did this. 
So it was very, very extreme. And I was like, okay, well, I can handle that. I can, we can do this. We can do that. Uh, went through a night of going through this really, really heavy role play. And on either sides of what, what that container was, the woman that I was with, she was such a, uh, an affectionate, loving, and empathetic person. I remember afterwards we'd just gone through the most extreme stuff and we were laying there together just talking shit and, uh, you know, those grapes turned up from somewhere and we were popping grapes in each other's mouth, having a drink. And at the end of it, I came out of that and thought that was, I think, about as extreme an experience as you're going to have with someone. And it didn't really ignite my interests. But then I remember when we were debriefing in the morning, uh, this catalyzed something in you where it was the start of your interest in becoming a male dominant and exploring that world of BDSM. I remember the, the like weird, like brain fried excitement. I'm like, this is it, Kurt. This is what women really want. I've, I've been doing it wrong all my life. <laughs> and yeah, I remember I was talking oh, about Oh, hang on. There's one other thing that I learned that night because after I'd done, that, done those terrible things to that girl, she then like went upstairs and the other girl who I originally was going to be with was sitting there waiting. And I just went upstairs and I took her by the hand. I'm like, no. And I just took her downstairs into this room and then had sex with her straight afterwards. And that was mind blowing because I was like, what? Because she'd, you know, in the normal world, it's like, well, we were going to, we had a little romance together and then I went off with this slut and now what, you're going to come try and fuck me? She was just like, mm-hmm. yep, you're the sex guy. Okay, right. you went and did the evil sex with that girl and now you're going to do the sex with me. Like suddenly seeing that, okay, no, being a man of sexual power and non-judgment because we in that space that night the whole context was non-judgment do whatever you want and you know that hippie girl was just like a she wasn't a kinkster she was like a whatever normalish kind of girl but she was like uh um, whipped now up I, into the frenzy of it all now i remember she was such a sweetheart yeah. because i remember the next day she flopped out passed out on the couch and then when everyone woke up again we went to edinburgh gardens next door all ordered coffees and smoked a joint in the park and then she was the one that hooked up the weed somehow because she was the only one that had the contact. The only hippie. She was the only hippie, right? And then she just became part of the furniture for a while. She was just always there smoking weed yeah, in like the corner. That. And I remember her. She was so sweet. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, but the point, the point being, um, I remember in your interaction with your woman, she antagonized you from the moment that you met, trying to elicit a really, really strong violent response that was contained right. and every time that you tried to express that you did it from a place of when you were actually annoyed it wasn't a control i mean containment of my sexual energy and i'm expressing it through force play it was i'm annoyed and then she kept saying to you not scared yet that's right not scary as i'm not like scary belting her in the face and like choking her, and she's like ah. and she takes my hand off and says it's like this and shows me how to and then like and, and educated you on how to like how to do this yeah. and i and i do remember us talking about that and then this new world of this area of your sexuality that wasn't hadn't been explored yet was like wow like it, it was like the, the the lights were going off and i remember after my experience i was more interested in what was going on either side of the extremeness because mm-hmm. with the woman i connected with uh the softness that came out of her was we were uh, experiencing tenderness because I was because so, I was so cap- like, so I was so interested in how she could go from one extreme to the other, how someone could be um, into such like well, let's call it um, is it depravity? I'm not quite sure. Yes, it is certainly is it depravity? depravity. Well, it was it like ex- extreme forms of kink? Yeah, say. extreme forms of kink. Deviance. Deviance. And the thing that I was interested in was the, the tenderness and the connection that came after that. That was more, that was more satisfying to me in my soul. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was where we 
We went explore. off on our, on our Tantraverse BDSM paths. On our Tantraverse BDSM paths. Yeah. And then from that moment, I think that that's where that, what, that was what also catalyzed my own interest in, let's say, in conscious sexuality, which is becoming aware to finer and finer levels of subtleties of what's going on between a man and a woman and tuning into the energetic exchange that's going on between you. So I'm stripping out all of the hippie woo-woo words because it it'd be easy to load this in with new age tantra words, Taoist um, sexuality words, but let's strip all that out and uh, keep it quite explicit. So as you're tuning into those uh, subtleties, you can access um, more and more of your uh, energy that's more and more of the energy that's exchanged between you and a woman and as a result of connecting intimately and that energy as it's exchanged cultivated and it expands can be used directly for your conscious expansion and also your spiritual development and a level of intimacy which is you know un, unlikely with other types of physical interaction i agree yeah yeah so uh over the last couple of years uh i've sought out many many mentors in this world uh, energetic body workers people who are working with uh, psychosomatic issues in the body uh, people who are using uh, forms of sexuality as a vehicle to expand their spiritual and consciousness growth and that's the area that i've been really uh, exploring lately and it suits me as well um, because i naturally am a more sensitive person and in tune with those and more in tune with those subtleties exploring it in a sexual context yeah i think uh as a as a lover if you want to be an exceptional lover you need to be able to at least explore either sides of these of these areas so you know when we we have a seven day sex class uh where we get to practice this in real time and and the spread that we have is like okay know how to f- know the, the toolkit of how to fuck where where a g-spot is all the like technical tools and then on the, either side of that being able to be able to take a woman into her darker more extreme polarized uh fantasy worlds which which bdsm and kink we won't get too much into it but this is definitely a form of trans exploration and and understanding of the self as well it, it, when done well on the other side to be able to to be able to investigate the subtleties of, uh, you know, even just of, of simple touch of non-friction-based sex, of, of, you know, fucking someone with your eyes, uh, these kinds of things. If you're able to be pretty decent on either side of those things, you exist in easily in the 1% of best lovers in the world. Uh, for us, it's, we want to keep taking it deeper and deeper, not just because it means that girls think you're awesome in bed, but because it really keeps teaching you things about yourself and, and, and women. Okay, I think let's wrap it up there. We, we'll definitely return to this subject. And if you guys got questions about especially the sexuality stuff, uh, social circle game and how to get strippers to come and hit on you, not the other way around, then po- post some questions and Kurt can address those in the future. So uh, where can the guys see you? You'll be, you're, you're on staff. You're on all the workshops coming up. Yeah, uh, so now minted, legit. Yep, one he's been co- branded. Branded, one of the coaching teams. So I'm really excited to be uh, joining the crew for New York in a week. And, and this will probably come out in some months, so New York will have, will have been long gone. All oh, right, so New York's gone in the future, so yep. in future mm-hmm. podcast world. Uh, then we'll be uh, traveling to Australia for our Australian tour, um, running workshops there. And I think that uh, for European guys, we'll still be based out of Europe in the new year. So the best way I think to connect with us or to receive coaching will be through our personalized intensives. Um, As always. Yeah. So cool. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, yeah. Curtis, 
Kurt, and uh, that's it. Signing out. We'll see you guys in the next podcast. We love you all. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The The Natural Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.